Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Thursday, February the 23rd, it's time for listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Our email address is talkback at issuesetc.org and the comment line 618-223-8382. Let's begin with Melody in Charlottesville, Virginia. I am very sadly unable to play podcasts this morning. I know you want to know when this occurs. Thank you for taking care of this, and thanks be to God for issues, etc. And thank you for listening in Charlottesville, Virginia, Melody. Well, I think we are very close to getting to, to the bottom of what has been causing some inconvenience for our listeners when it comes to downloading the podcast. Through the, the help of our contracted IT people, and the company that hosts our website, I think we've discovered what's wrong. Our website is hosted on what's called a virtual private server, which is a way of saying it's like you have a private server at your own machine, but you don't. You're still sharing it, but it's set up in such a way so that it's like you have your own private server. And that, that virtual private server is assigned a certain amount of RAM memory, that I'm being redundant, but a certain amount. And and if that gets overtaxed, it just bogs everything down and you can't download from that server where all the audio is stored. So we were looking into it and finally the company that hosts our website discovered that there were a certain number of other websites that are making connections and gobbling up all the RAM for everybody else. So we've put, I think we've forwarded that to our IT guy and he hopefully will be able to see what those websites are, and then we, it's very easy to block them, and hopefully we'll be having no more problems with our people downloading the audio. Well stated. Jason, Jamestown, North Carolina, what role did the Holy Spirit have before the ascension of Jesus? An evangelical friend attributes Jesus' miracles to the Holy Spirit like those the apostles perform. My thinking is Jesus performed miracles because he was God in the flesh. I'm thinking he is separating the two natures of Christ, I would like your biblical insights. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the email, Jason in North Carolina. Let's deal with what the Holy Spirit was doing. Well, the Holy Spirit is the eternal, we'll say, third person of the Trinity. Sometimes Paul numbers them differently than we traditionally number them, but third person of the Trinity. So from all eternity, proceeding from the Father and the Son, as we confess in the Creed. Now, the question goes to really... Does the Holy Spirit do before Pentecost what he does after Pentecost? And the answer to that question is yes and no. We know of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is spoken of in the Old Testament as well. David says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. So David is aware of the third person of the Trinity, and he believes he has that Holy Spirit. And he considers it an existential threat if the Holy Spirit is withdrawn from him. So 
he believes as an Old Testament believer, and we've also told that the Holy Spirit was speaking through the prophets. David is a prophet. So he possesses the Holy Spirit not only because he's a prophet, but also because he's a true believer in the Old Testament. No one can believe apart from the action of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit acts only through God's Word. So wherever we find God's Word present, Old Testament, New Testament, there the Holy Spirit is at work, working faith. He always comes along with his Word to do two things, to produce repentance and then to deliver saving faith. So that's what he's doing before with the Old Testament believers, and it's also what he's doing after. Now, Jesus says, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he's talking there about this gift of the Holy Spirit that is given to the apostles and the company of believers that manifests itself in ways that are very Old Testament-ish. There's fire, there's a sound of a great rushing wind, there's an earthquake that shakes the place where they're meeting. So these manifestations are to show the continuity of what God the Holy Spirit is doing in the Old Testament and what God is in the uh, God the Holy Spirit is doing now in the New Testament among the apostles and the church. So he's doing the same thing. Now I said yes and no. Does the Holy Spirit manifest himself? Is the Holy Spirit now more fully revealed in the New Testament with Jesus' own words, go make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, where there for the first time explicitly, not simply implied and not simply oh, there's the Holy Spirit, Jesus' baptism, and there's the Father speaking, and there's the Son in the water. Obviously, there's the Trinity, but Jesus comes out and flatly says, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's not a new revelation, really, but it is a more explicit revelation of the Trinity. The Trinity is implicit in the Old Testament, and with Jesus' proclamation and Jesus' revelation and giving of the Holy Spirit to the disciples, it is now completely explicit. I, I wrote a, actually wrote an article about this some years ago. I think it was called The Theology of Jesus, where I argue that the, the Trinity is not an idea that we impose on Scripture. It's not a human metaphor for God. It is, in fact, what Jesus himself believed and taught about the nature of the true God. Uh, Jesus is a thoroughgoing Trinitarian. That's the God he has come to reveal. Now, the second part of the question was had to do with I'm not sure I caught it all of it, Jeff. Had to do with the apostles performing miracles. An evangelical friend contributes Jesus' miracles to the Holy Spirit like those the apostles performed. My thinking is Jesus performed miracles because he was God in the flesh. I'm thinking he is separating the two natures in Christ. I don't know if the, your evangelical friend is separating the two natures in Christ. I don't think it has to be an either or. It's by the power of Jesus' name, that's the, that's the thing with the apostles, miracles, is that they attribute it to Jesus' name. Isn't that strange? Stop and think about that. These things are done in Jesus' name. Now, that means that Jesus, when doing his miracles, is doing them, well, he's doing them actually in his own name, but he, I think he might say he's doing them in his Father's name. But these are now, they are now authorized by Jesus himself to use his name, and that's not just the vocable Jesus, but in fact, the whole proclamation of Jesus. That's a shorthand for the whole proclamation of Jesus. They're now authorized to do this in his name. 
He has given them his authority to perform miracles, and therefore they do. Now, the question is, well, then how does Jesus do his miracles? We don't, we don't know the mechanics of it. I don't think we can know the mechanics of, of it on this side of the resurrection. But Jesus exercises divine power. We're told several places that he exercises divine power. That is from his own divinity. And he calls the work that he does his father's work. The works that I see my father doing, I do them too. So Jesus connects his miracles, the casting out of demons, the healing, all those other miraculous signs that he does to what he sees his father doing. And this is kind of standard fare for Jesus to attribute all that he does to his father. He is there to glorify his father. So those miracles are done from his own divinity. Now, is the Holy Spirit absent from those miracles? Not at all. Not at all. The Trinity, they're always working cooperation with one another. The greatest miracle that Jesus actually performs is one that we don't talk about very much, and that is he creates believers. By the power of his word, he creates believers, and that's the greatest miracle. People say, well, what about miracles today? Jesus has left us miracles for his church to perform. They are not necessarily healing or casting out demons, but the ones that he's explicitly authorized his church to perform. From his apostles on through the rest of the apostolic church are the sacraments. Baptism is a miracle. The Lord's Supper is a miracle. And he has authorized his church to continue those miracles until he returns again. When we come back, a little bit more listener email and the issues, etc. Comment line. Then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Things above, that's the theme for this year's hymn sing at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The bridegroom soon will call us. Jerusalem the golden, wake awake for night is flying, and a whole bunch more. You don't want to miss it. Making the Case is Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. 
Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Luther Academy. Wait! Oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Bozeman! Wait! Wait, hey, 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 Mr. Bozeman! Mr. Bozeman, look at you! Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Going through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee will be speaking at this year's, the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. He's a last-minute replacement for Bill Barr, former attorney, attorney general. We were going to have Bill back. He was going to be our, our perpetual. Back? What do you mean back? Well, we had him last year. We did? Yes, we did. I didn't. Yeah. I, that's right. We did have him back. Well, yeah, it was going to be a re- repeat performance. We're just going to, every year, just that slot is is for Bill Barr. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But the Babylon Bee tomorrow is having the Babylon Bee live. Babylon Bee produces Christian satire. It's in your old stomping grounds, Dallas, Fort Worth. And are you aware, though? So it's their annual awards. Now, this one that got him in trouble with Twitter with the Rachel Levine Man of the Year yeah, yeah. award. I think they, they, yeah, they gave Rachel Levine Man of the Year award. So tomorrow is their annual awards. Are you aware that one of our sponsors, Ad Crusum, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M, oh, look at that. produced the awards for the Babylon Bee's annual award ceremony? Well, that is, Jeff is showing me a picture on his laptop. He's in the next studio of the Babylon Bee Award, the actual award that is given out. And there it is. It's their logo. And Ad Crusum produced those. Yes, they did. Ad Crusum produces items like this, church banners, Christian greeting cards, jewelry, fine art, posters. You name it, they produce it. Check them out at adcrusum.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Mark writes, I really enjoyed the episode on the Asbury University revival with Lyman Stone. I learned much from Lyman Stone. He's a good source for the story. His Methodist background was perfect to comment on what is going on at Asbury. I have a question. Being that he is now a Lutheran Church Missouri Synod member, if he or when he goes to his parents' home to visit and goes to Sunday service, will he stay seated for communion? And if his parents' grandfather come to the worship at his LCMS church, does he tell them to remain seated during communion? My comment on this situation is that it can be awkward, to say the least. What do you do, Todd, if you have non-LCMS in your family attending the divine service? Yes, I do not understand your closed communion. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the question, Mark. So, yes, th- I do have non-Lutheran relatives when they attend my church, if they attend my church, then they do not commune. We very politely, as we do with everybody who's not a member, very politely say, uh, what church do you attend? If it's a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation, or one of the sister church bodies of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, then they're welcome to commune. 
And if they're not, then they're politely asked. They can they can come to the rail, but they they'll come to the rail for a blessing, and not to receive the body and blood of Christ. Now, this closed communion practice is not unique <laughs> to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Although, if you walk into the average church, you're going to find very spotty practice. But it's not unique to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. It's actually the historic practice of the Christian Church. And if you want it explained. And if you want to hear the case for that, I wrote an article last year called Closed Communion, what is it, Lutheran, Loving, and something else. Can't remember the title of it. For the Issues Etc. Journal, if you just send me an email, todd at issuesetc.org, I will be happy to send you that article absolutely free. It explains the practice of Closed Communion, and it makes the case not only that it's historic practice of the church, that it's thoroughly Lutheran, and that it is the loving thing to do with those who are not in fellowship with us, not in communion fellowship with us. Where would you make the case from Scripture? From Scripture. I would make the case that this is the practice that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 11. He actually writes that section to urge people not to go to communion. He says, don't go. If you are not able to discern the body of Christ, then you are, he says, Sinning, he actually says, blaspheming the body of Christ. These are holy things that we handle. Now, in churches where they don't believe Christ's words, this is my body, this is my blood, they have no reason to practice closed communion because they don't believe that they're handling sacred things. But in churches where it is, and historically, up until the 16th century Reformation and the Radical Reformation, every Christian believed they were handling holy things. The church fathers write extensively about this. So Paul is saying, don't come to, he's not saying everybody come. He's saying, don't go. You will harm both the body of Christ that in the sense of the church and your own selves. He says, this is why some of you are sick and some of you have even fallen asleep. And that means died. So he's speaking there of the judgment that comes when you eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ. And that's why we practice it. It's a loving thing to do. Another great resource, Mark, is an interview Todd did with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, What I Wish My Non-Lutheran Family Knew About Closed Communion. You'll find that issuesetc.org. Look for the Google search engine in the upper right-hand corner. Type in Wolfmiller Closed Communion, and you'll find that podcast episode. And the uh, I, sh- I should say that, that the last time we talked about this and I offered the article for free, to explain our practice, that's hands down the most requested article on closed communion. Because just like our listener, many people don't understand it. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. The reason a lot of people, even Lutherans, don't understand it is because their pastors haven't taught it. And if they're not teaching it, they're probably not practicing it either. When we come back, still more listener email and the issues, etc. comment line. Casting Christ's Net on the Internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. 
please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Do you want a church with a rockin' band and a sermon series to help you live a better life? It's not here. Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights offers authentic, historic Christianity to a world awash in fads and entertainment, and offers forgiveness of sins to people overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Join us Sundays at 9.30 on Old Collinsville Road in Fairview Heights, Illinois, to receive the life-giving gifts of God with us. Find out more online at BethanyLCMS.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email on the Issues Etc. comment line in about 15 minutes. Dr. John Brukowski joins us. We're going to talk about the pro-choice life of the mother argument. He has arguments against it. Then Dr. Jennifer Roback-Morse of the Ruth Institute will be alongside to talk about Obergefell, same-sex marriage, and children. Here's a question from the Issues Etc. comment line about my Issues Etc. journal column, Playing the Mission Card. This is Paul Milwaukee with a question related to the latest IE Journal Enlightening article on the mission card. In the essay, the LCMS pastor mail-only office was mentioned. Priscilla and her husband, Romans 16 and Acts 18 taught, helping Paul. One raised the question with me if this was a woman pastor. My thought in this case was that when the, did the office begin? With the apostles, 200 A.D., 300 A.D.? Can an office be violated before it clearly exists? Thanks for consideration. Well, that raises a good question. When, when is the office of the ministry established? If it's not established by Christ, then we have no business talking about it. But it is established by Christ, and it's established, well, we we Lutherans have traditionally said in two places in Scripture. One I actually mentioned a few minutes ago, Matthew 28, where Jesus authorizes all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and then he authorizes his disciples to go and make disciples by baptizing and by teaching everything that he has commanded. So that's the place where, that's the go-to for Lutheran theology on the institution of the office of the ministry. Also, there is John 20. After Jesus has been raised from the dead, he appears to his disciples. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he commissions them to forgive sins in his name. Whatever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whatever sins you retain, they are retained. There's a parallel passage in Matthew's gospel on that one as well. So, There we have the institution of the office of the ministry. There's more taught about it, of course. The Apostle Paul gives us some rather extensive teaching on the prerequisites for someone to be a pastor. And he begins with, in several places, he begins with husband of one wife. And this is why we say he does not speak of wife of one husband. He doesn't speak generically spouse of one spouse or something like that. Now you ask about Priscilla, and that is... Priscilla and Aquila are kind of a teaching team that seem to be connected to Paul's ministry. And there are two places where they are teaching along with Paul. 
And then there is one place in, I'm thinking it's Acts 17, where someone arrives who has a deficient view of baptism. It's one of Paul's companions. He, he knows of only of John's baptism, and they take him aside and they instruct him more fully in Christ's baptism. So she's involved at least two times there explicitly teaching. I find it very interesting. That we, who do we talk to about this just very recently? In fact, it might have just been this week. I can't remember who the guest was. The guest was saying, look, we, we have to say, Paul talks about women prophesying with their heads covered. So we have to say, whatever it is they're doing there, they're not performing the functions of the pastoral office, but they are teaching in some sense. Jordan Cooper. Jordan Cooper. So we have to, we cannot say, well, they're not teaching. Otherwise, we have to redefine prophesying in the church. And uh, Dr. Cooper said, Whatever they're doing there, they must be doing outside of the divine service where Paul explicitly says women are not to teach there. So they are acting in some way that the, that the apostle permits, even issues orders about how they ought to prophesy with their heads covered. And he makes the distinction there between men and women prophesying. So we have to have a view of women teaching in the church that encompasses that somehow. It, the apostle requires us to do this. But the best we can say is that while they may be teaching, they're teaching in a different context than the divine service. In other words, they're not preaching. And we don't know who they're teaching. They're teaching those whom it is appropriate for them to teach. So mothers teach their children. We must have some kind of latitude to understand that women can teach in the church under certain circumstances, but they are not to hold the pastoral office or to use the loosey-goosey way. They are not to perform the functions of the pastoral office. But in some sense, it is appropriate for them to teach. And our only source for this has got to be Scripture. We cannot have allow our one teaching of the apostle that the pastoral office is male only somehow undo other teachings of the apostle where he says women are to prophesy with their heads covered. What is he talking about? It'd be nice to know, but it's not as many have wanted to insinuate. It's, it's not Paul taking back what he said about women not teaching in the church. And how can listeners receive the latest issues, et cetera, journal featuring your playing the mission card column and Jeremy Lamont's journey from Mormonism to Lutheranism. They can go to our website, issuesetc.org. On the right-hand side of the website, they'll find a big red subscription button. If you click on that and you enter your email address, we'll send you the Issues Etc. journal for free. Here's another question about your Issues Etc. journal column. Gerhardt writes, I agree that it's wrong to play the mission card against the doctrine card. Somehow I think that what we need to do in our church body is recapture the vision of the union of mission flowing out of the doctrine. There is no division between doctrine and mission. They are indivisible. Good doctrine leads to healthy outreach. Good doctrine leads us into the world with good news. Good news that reflects the humility, the kindness and compassion and love of what we have received and the hope and confidence that comes with our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for reading the Issues Etc. Journal. Thanks for listening, Gerhardt. So, Gerhardt, I agree with you 100%. Now, I want to ask the question, who has driven the wedge between doctrine and missions? Who has done this? Is it those who believe and are convinced that our doctrine must be pure and scriptural? No. 
You know who's driven the wedge between our doctrine, that is our teaching, and our mission? It is those who wanted, have wanted to downplay doctrinal matters as though they somehow get in the way of or distract from the mission. The people who've driven the wedge between mission and doctrine are the people who play the mission card, not those who say our doctrine must be pure. So I agree with you completely that pure doctrine actually is the impetus. It is the content of the church's mission. Jesus says, teaching them all whatsoever I have commanded you. Don't leave anything out. Teach them everything I have commanded you. That's how disciples are made. Not by minimizing doctrine, but in fact by, as Jesus says, maximizing doctrine. All whatsoever. He uses, if you look at the issues, etc., journal article that we're discussing here, he uses a little particle, a Greek particle, that is emphatic. He doesn't just say all. He says, that's panta in Greek. He says, Panta Hosa, all whatsoever. It's emphatic that he's saying, don't leave anything out. Whatever I've taught you, you're to teach in the church. Jesus is a big advocate of pure doctrine. I thought the passage just go make disciples of all nations, period. Yeah, that's not the Great Commission. It isn't. Yeah. It's, that's just uh, the beginning of the Great Commission. So I remember dear Dr. Norman Nagel said, you have to start, first of all, look at all the alls in the Great Commission, starting with all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then go make disciples of all nations. And then teaching them to observe all whatsoever I have commanded you. He said the Great Commission, if you, if you don't have those alls in there, you don't have the Great Commission. Gerald writes, I have just finished listening to both of Dr. Jordan Cooper's comments in the New Large Catechism. Thank you for taking the time to respond to some of these concerns. I have yet to read the book, but I certainly will be reading it. My comment is really about the name-calling that was talked about. It saddens me that anyone would think that personal attacks is a way to refute someone's writing, especially as I have observed personally the results of these attacks as a member and a teacher in the school of the children of parents who were attacked. I was comforted by President Harrison's admonition of this very thing. Yes, it is sinful, and it is a fallacious argument, a fallacy of distraction that seems to forget that people being personally attacked are real people with real families. Attacking an argument in a logical way and speaking it in the kindest way is what I consistently teach my students. Thank you, Dr. Cooper, for doing just that. Words matter. Use them carefully. Thanks for the email. Thanks for listening, Gerald. <laughs> Great thoughts there, Gerald. And, and I agree with you that the reason, you know, the, an ad hominem is, is what they call a personal attack. When you don't have an argument, it's a pretty good sign that you don't have an argument when you resort to an ad hominem, just simply attacking the person rather than the issue. And yes, it does harm people as well, but I think it's, a, it's just a sure sign that you don't have an argument. Brian, thank you so much for your episode on finding a therapist with Dr. Rick Mars yesterday. I am a lifelong Lutheran and a therapist for more than 25 years. I appreciate the many episodes you've had about mental illness. I think your guests provided valuable information. Talking with a trained professional is very different than talking with a friend or family member. 
And I encourage all your listeners to consider meeting with a professional therapist to talk through their life struggles. Thanks for listening in Japan, Brian. Brian, thank you very much. It's, I mean, we're trying to d- deal with the, the issues of mental illness, and I think it's all the more an acute situation now post-pandemic. Uh, Jeff and I were talking earlier today, and it was, it's not an observation original to me, but whatever cracks there were in your mental well-being going into the three-plus years of the pandemic, they're only, they've only been widened by, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the stress. I don't know if it was the lockdowns. I'm not isolation. Isolation. You know, when, when you're actively being encouraged to isolate yourself from and to fear your neighbor and to assume the worst of your neighbor on a daily basis. And then all of the divisions that grew out of everything surrounding the pandemic, what's truth, what's false. Why is the government behaving this way? I think actually very fruitful observation from one of our guests saying all these things came from the top down. That's not how you do medicine. You don't, you do medicine one doctor at a time and one patient at a time. You don't do it from the top down on a whole nation. So, so such great distrust in our lives on a daily basis that some people just broke. My wife often says, whatever you were before the pandemic, you're even more so afterwards. It's a very sad situation. And yes, we need the spiritual care and counsel that comes from that pastoral relationship. And for many, we also need the clinical relationship, that detached listening board or sounding board that comes in the form of professional therapy. Here's an email from Luke in Australia. I would just like to thank Pastor Wilkin for his monologue about church politics on the recent Friday email response. I have felt discouraged recently about the political type arguments that have been plaguing the Lutheran church in my country. It was refreshing to hear a pragmatic and honest take on why we need debate and that I shouldn't feel that my efforts to shape opinion in the church are dirtying my hands. Much thanks from Australia. God bless you and your work and you as well, Luke. Well, thank you very much. I, it's one of my one of my pet peeves that and I've never understood why people say we shouldn't have politics in the church. If you have a polity, a form of governance, you've got politics in the church. It's not a necessary evil. It's the way that groups of people, humanly speaking, get things done and make decisions. And if you have a form of polity in your church, use it. If you have, like we have in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, a nominations process, then use that process. And if people are free to say, and they are in this country, to say who they would prefer be nominated, use that too. And here's a great example of church politics being done. Remember, February 28th is the deadline for your Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation to send in nominations for president and vice presidents of Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. That's this coming Tuesday. Another important date is March 19th of 2023. Each congregation has the right to vote directly through a pastoral voter, a pastor called and installed to the congregation or parish, and a lay voter, a member of the congregation or parish who is not an ordained or commissioned minister on the roster of the synod, whether active, candidate, or emeritus, for president of the synod. So each congregation should decide on who their pastoral voter is going to be and their lay voter 
is going to be. And all that needs to be completed by the end of March 19th of this year. Learn more about nominations and all these deadlines. And what else? We have tutorial there, Todd. We've got a tutorial to show you how to go through the nomination process. And then we've got a link to a list of our recommended nominees for president and vice presidents. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Again, those deadlines, February 28th and March 19th. When we come back from this break, we're going to spend some time with Dr. John Prukowski. He is founder of TPAC OBGYN of Fairfax, Virginia. Used to do abortions. He doesn't do them anymore. He's going to debunk the pro-choice argument, the life of the mother. Stay tuned. And close with love the way that you do. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter and make believe it came from you. What is mental health? The February issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question of mental health with contributions from the LCMS Task Force on Mental Health, which is tasked with providing resources for Lutheran church workers to better care for their own mental health and those entrusted to their care. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. At Risen Christ Lutheran Church in Arvada, Colorado, we have simply become captivated by the hilarious notion that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save the losers of this world, losers just like us. We proclaim the biblical notion that God saves sinners. Embracing the historic liturgy of the church, we confess that we are just that, sinners. Visit us online at risenchristlutheran.org. Theology for blue-collar, white-collar, and clerical-collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Catalina Lutheran, Tucson, Arizona. Faith Lutheran, Azona, Texas. Good Shepherd Lutheran, Arnold, Missouri. Emmanuel Lutheran, Terre Haute, Indiana. Luther Memorial Chapel, Shorewood, Wisconsin. Redeemer Lutheran, Chico, California. St. John Lutheran, Corcoran, Minnesota. St. Paul Lutheran, Clorinda, Iowa. Trinity Lutheran, Lebanon, Missouri. And Zion Lutheran, Mascouda, Illinois. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. 